Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for an amazing opportunity to come before you, to be your people and your church. Now we ask that this time that you would open our ears, open our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we may hear from you, we may see you, we may feel you in this place. We feel the passion leads us to bring the word. We love and we thank you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Our ladies' ministry made some a little blanket and some toiletries in the little bag, and there's a box outside in the foyer, and so... You run across someone that has some needs, perhaps, you know, need a little warmth and from the cold and needs some toiletries. We have them there, so please take a couple bags with you, whatever you want to, to be able to pass around throughout the week when you have opportunity. So we're talking about why Jesus came during this Christmas season, and this is number two. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. There's basically three reasons given in this scripture why Jesus came. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given us. Now that's a long meditation right there, isn't it? See what kind of love. See the love. Experience the love. Know the love. Feel the love. Meditate on the love that God has for us through Christ and the experience of that love, of course, is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We, we learn to know the love. We learn to feel the love. We learn to accept the love. It may take a while sometimes in a new believer's life to be able to come to the place where they go, I really am loved by God. I can rest. I can, I can walk in that love. I can experience that love. He says, so see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Through faith, belief, we are children of God. It's important that we understand that we're children of God. It's important that we grow in uh, awareness that we are his children. Romans 8 tells us that his spirit, big S, the Holy Spirit, affirms in our spirit, little s, that we are God's children. So those awarenesses, those thoughts, those ideas, when you're reading through the scripture and you, and you read some truth and inside your heart, in your spirit, you just kind of begin to have an understanding, an acknowledgement, an awareness that you are God's child. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so the Holy Spirit is always at work affirming that we are God's children. God wants us to know that we're his children. He wants us to have that security. He wants us to go through life with that that understanding. And so the love produces that in us. And so the reason uh, that's the the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Then it says, the reason why the world does not know us is that they did not know him. And so the reason why there's a lack of respect and a lack of admiration, admiring God's children, the people of the Lord, is because there's just this vacuum of awareness. People in unbelief, they don't understand. They're not aware of the presence of God. That's why sometimes when you communicate that you believe in Jesus, that you love him, that 
that you live for him, you face a blank stare. You, you face a lack of a, awareness, a lack of understanding, and it's because they do not have that chance. In unbelief, people do not have the ability to be able to recognize Christ in someone's life. And the fact that they begin to recognize it or ask questions is a work of the Holy Spirit. Impossible for anyone to come to that understanding on our own. Now, when I was a kid, I, we have a little small church right down the road from where my mom lives today. And, and I would guess that in the course of a day, I probably went by that church four or five times. I would go to school, I went by the church, coming home, went by the church, going somewhere, I went to that church, going to see friends, I would go by that church. I would walk by that church, I would ride my bike by that church, I would be in my parents' cars going by that church. And, and honestly, I never, ever thought about what went on inside that building. I, I never considered things about Christ. There was not an awareness. It was like there was just this great vacuum. And, and then I believed in Christ. Some friends shared the gospel with me through a series of, of events that took place when I was in high school. And, and, and I came to the place in my life when I was 16 years old that I believed in Christ. And when I believed in Christ, all of a sudden, a new wave of understanding happened in me. I had a long way to go. I had a long way to grow. I mean, if you compared what I feel, what I know, and what I'm aware of today about Jesus compared to then, it would seem like I had none compared to now. But it began, and as time went on, the awareness of God's presence, the awareness that I am God's children grew. It blossomed like a, a rosebush might after some good rains and some good sunshine. And, and then I began to think about, what goes on inside this little church? What happens in there? And, and I'd never, from that point on, never passed by. I didn't think about it. Isn't that amazing how that happens? That used to, there was no thoughts, there was no awareness, there was no understanding. And then when I believed in Jesus, all of a sudden there's understanding. You may have had that experience yourself. I, I laughed this week. I, was, I was, went to see Brock play Mount Vernon. And I was watching the game, and, and, and I was kind of reviewing 1 John chapter 3 in my head when I'm watching that. And I remembered, I saw a play, and I said, man, I, they had a number 72 for Brock, and he plays defensive tackle, and that's what I played. And, and I watched him uh, coming around the end, and that running back just took off and left him in the, in the dust. And I went, boy, I know what that's like. Abilene Cooper had a running back named Terry. His last name was Terry. And he later played for the Redskins as a tight end. But, but I was saved when I was a sophomore in high school. And a junior in high school, I can remember playing Abilene Cooper, and it was a sweep to one side or the other. And I remember reading it. I remember knowing. I said, oh, I'm going to make this play. This is going to be great. And I'm going down the line and trying to catch that guy. And, and man, when I got there, I missed him. And he's gone. And, and you know what the first thing that came out of my mouth was? Yeah, it was. It was a bad, bad word. It was cussing God. It was, and, and I got up, and I start trying to run down him. And, and you know the rest of that play, and he ran for about 67 yards. 
And, and I, of course, I never caught him. There's no way I caught him. I'd love to be able to tell you, and I caught that boy at the goal line and threw him down. Nah, he just left me in the dirt. And, but when I'm running down the field, because you never quit on a play, right, I remember pleading to God to forgive me of cussing him. And, and I remember then that that was unusual for me, that things have changed for me. And so that's what the Lord did. And so in the midst of that football game, when it's, you know, really emotionally stirred up, man, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin right there and then. Now, at that time, I, I just had the idea, this is new. I used to not do that. I used to, you know, cuss and, and do all those things, and I felt no remorse, no shame, no conviction. I just said, it's not wrong. I mean, it's, it's not right or wrong. I never even thought about right and wrong in, in that time of my life. But, but I remembered how strong that was, and it was evidence that I'd been born again because sin had become a thing to me. Before, sin was no big deal, and now sin was a thing. And so, verse 2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. There was no thought of purifying myself before I believed. And after I believed, I grew in learning about sin and about righteousness and about what my Father wanted from me. And you have experienced the same. That's not my experience, and you don't share that. You share that. All of us who believe in Him, we share, and you can probably share similar experiences that you have had in, in that, in that, on that topic, on that subject. Now, verse 4. Let's look at this. Everyone, that includes everyone, that's just not a few, that's not a, a select group. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Everyone who practices sin, everyone who makes a practice of sinning, also practice lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, lawlessness is a complete absence of God. That's what lawlessness is. Lawless is not obeying the commands of God. Lawlessness is not respecting God. Lawlessness is not fearing God. Lawless is living under the control of sin with no constraints, no concern about it. No, no thinking, I, got, I need to live differently than I'm living. It's just in lawlessness, and lawlessness completely controls that person, a complete absence of any hint of God in the world, in their life. Everyone who makes a practice of sitting also practices lawlessness. Verse 5, first reason why Jesus came. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. That's one of the reasons why Jesus came. Jesus came to take away sins. 
During my psychology classes in college, I have a minor in psychology, and from those professors, and, and, and nearly every one of them, maybe not personally in their belief, but in what they taught, no one believed that sin exists, and they taught that sin doesn't exist, and, and that's the, that is the world's psychology today from what I understand. Sin doesn't exist. Man doesn't struggle with sin. Man's problems, the problems that men and women deal with today is not a result of sin. It's a result of four factors in their lives. And those factors are, one is a lack of education. The second is a poor environment. The third one is limited opportunities. And those limited opportunities range from all things from genetics to social barriers. That it just... It hems them in, and, and it, it causes problems. And then, of course, experiences. And so, if you want to help people, if you want to, to counsel people and help them to live a more moral life, to help them live a more optimistic life, whatever the situation is, to help them break the habits that they struggle with, then you need to work in four areas, environment, education, change their opportunities, help them see opportunities that they have, and, of course, experiences. Provide experiences for them. And, 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 you, and you probably see that taking place in the world today. You see it taking place in our schools. You see it taking place in our universities today. You see it taking place in counseling where God is not a possibility of, of having any interaction with people. And, and this is what happens when sin doesn't exist. So, now, as a believer in Christ, I know sin exists. And when I was in those college classes and I would hear that, I, I would just struggle inside. And I wrote papers on it. I gave talks on it. And I was always trying to help people see that their number one problem and the number one problem that people face is the fact that they are in sin. And sin, it, 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 it just takes life away. And there's a couple things that help me to understand that sin really is the real reason. Of course, the Bible says so. And so obviously that's enough for me. And you know that for me personally, that I, I really believe in the Bible. I believe in what it says. I believe that this is God's communication to us. And, and that we need to soak it in, we need to live by it. It needs to be our guide. It needs to be our, our source of discovery of God and all the spiritual things in the world. But, but there's, some, there's some things that I think that, in my personal opinion, break this idea uh, apart that sin doesn't exist. First one is this. I've experienced that people without an education... People in a horrible environment, a poor environment, a difficult environment, a broken environment, people with limited opportunities. I mean, they just, there's, there's not an American dream for them. There's not a possibility of education. There's not a possibility of, of, of them being able to, to walk away from the culture that they're in that it just has them hemmed in, and they have limited opportunities, and they have limited experiences, that they are absolutely happy. 
they are absolutely void of some of the problems that we have many times in our world in not believing in sin. Now, how do you explain that? How do you explain that someone can live in complete poverty, not be educated, cannot read or write, have not had opportunities, and, and they have not had what we've had, where basically here in, in our culture, that if you work hard and you're honest and you do the right things, you can do pretty well. You can move up the ladder. You can improve things for you and your family. You know, if, if you have that, that spirit about you and that mindset, I mean, you can just, you can improve. But they can't do that because the opportunities for doing that are just not present, right? But they're happy. They're fulfilled. They're healthy. They're content. And the difference is they believe in Christ. The sin issue that they faced and that they struggled with has been taken away when they believed in Christ. And so when I, when I think about education, I, I think, yeah, everybody needs to be educated. When I think about the environment, yeah, let's work to improve people's environments. When I think about limited opportunities, yeah, let's work with people to help their opportunity possibilities improve. When, when I hear about people that have had limited experiences, yeah, let's, let's work to help them have experiences. But the most important thing that, that believing that sin doesn't exist, the mo- the, the, it just, it's in the way, it's a barrier, it's a wall, is the fact that the opportunity for a change of heart is just not there. It's not possible. There is no way in the world to have a change of heart by being educated. Matter of fact, if you educate people without sharing the good news about Jesus with them, they just get smarter and more aware of the world, and, and their sin is of greater potential. They can do more. You know, they, 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 education may bring them up in the culture where they can uh, better themselves, but the sin problem is still there, and it's the same person that was there before the education, before improving the environment, before giving them opportunities and experiences. And Jesus came to do the the most important thing. Jesus came so that our sins could be taken away. And when our sins are taken away, we receive a new heart. And, and that new heart is not dependent upon education, environment, opportunities, and experiences. It's just not. Now, education, environment, opportunities, and experiences, for the one who has believed in Jesus is icing on top of the cake. But the sin has been taken away, literally taken away. You see, for me, in that, that story about trying to catch Terry running down that sideline and missing him and exploded, it just came out of my mouth loud, is I was immediately convicted of my sin. You know why? Because I had had a change of heart, and I wasn't the same person. And I'm running down that sideline saying, Lord, please forgive me. I, I'm so sorry. I didn't think about 
missing the tackle. I didn't think about the lecture I was going to get next morning watching the film and, and, and the shame and the embarrassment that coach was going to lay on me. And, and it just that was the most important thing to me at that moment was that God knew that I was sorry that I cussed him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The reason why that happened was is because my sins were taken away. You've had that experience, hadn't you? You've had that experience. You used to practice sin. There were no barriers to that. You had an anger problem, you didn't care. You had a cussing problem, you didn't care. You had a cheating problem, you didn't care. Had a lying problem, not a big deal. You know, cheat on your test in school, no big deal. Ah, improve yourself, make a better grade. Nobody cares. You don't care. They don't care. No one cares. The, 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 the problem is just getting caught. And if you can maneuver and cheat and lie and steal and thieve and do all those things without getting caught, you're all right. You know, the, the biggest sin is getting caught, right? That's the mentality of someone that is under the power and the chain of sin. But when we believe in Christ because of Christmas, because Jesus came to take away sin, we no longer practice sin. Practicing sin is an habitual. It is always going to do it. It's no hesitation. It's, it, there's no governor on the sin, right? There's nothing holding it in, in, in check. There's no barrier to it. So the idea of practicing sin... So, when you're born again and you believe in Christ, the power of sin is broken. Now, pretty deep in the flesh, pretty deep in sin. Maybe there's some habits, some addictions, some strongholds in that person's life. They have had a long history of living by the flesh and practicing sin. Then all of a sudden... They're born again. They believe the Holy Spirit comes and lives in them, and the chains are broken. It doesn't automatically change, but it does begin to change. And, and it may be a day, a month, a, 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 a six months, a year goes by, and, and all of a sudden they look back and go, man, I'm not cussing as much. I'm not lying as much. I'm not cheating as much. I'm not cussing as much. My anger is not as deep as it was. I'm still struggling in those areas, but you can definitely see that there has been a change of heart and you no longer, without a governor, without any barriers, without any walls, without any constraints on you, practicing sin. And Jesus made that possible. That's the work of the Lord. And when you begin to see that you no longer practice sin, that's the presence of the Lord in you. Jesus came to take away sins. Now, Taking away sins takes away the impact of sins, takes away the, the possibility of sinning. Before, there was, there was no possibility of not sinning. But when Jesus enters our life, the possibility begins. And, and for many people, it is, a, it is a word of encouragement. It is a word of comfort when they understand that when they no longer practice sin like they used to, that's the work of God in their lives. And the process of purity has begun. 
has begun. That's what the word here tells us. No one that practices sin abides in him. No one that practices sin lives in him. They no longer habitually practice without any constraints, without a governor, sin. You know, in verse 5, he says that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Verse 6, no one who abides in him, that means to live in him, to abide in him. The, 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 branch, the, the, the branches are attached to the vine. And, and when we're attached to him, we abide in him, we live in him, we, we follow him. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, verse 6 says. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And so that's the break between belief and unbelief. So if you're wondering whether or not you are a person of belief, whether or not you are God's child, whether or not you have had a new heart that you've been born again, this is a good place to look. Evaluate. You, are you sinning like you did before? You had some kind of religious thought, some kind of conversion experience that you thought? Was the conversion experience real? Well, look at the sin. What's happened to the sin? Are you still living like you used to? Or can you see a break in, in living without a governor, a constraint, and all of a sudden the desires begin to change, the passions begin to change, and, and, and who you're living for begins to change? And you can begin to evaluate that because the believer no longer practices sin. Now, not perfect. We know that's an impossibility. We know that from the big picture, no one, only Jesus, as the scripture says here, only Jesus is without sin. For the rest of our life, we're going to sin, but it's not like it used to be. And that not like it used to be is the key. There's a growth. There's a purifying that takes place. So, people who are in, in unbelief, they have not been born again, they continue to practice sin. The one who comes to believe no longer habitually practices sin. Verse 7, little children, no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteous is righteous as he is righteous. That idea of righteous in this case is good deeds, good things, growing in love, growing in forgiveness growing in, in gentleness, growing in, in patience, in those kind of things, and, and you begin to see that you're just not like you used to be, and you're growing. And the sign that you are born again, the sign evidence that you know Christ, that you are one of God's children, is the fact that you're different now than you were this time last year. Made mistakes this past year? Of course. Have you sinned this past year? Yeah. Have you allowed some poor thoughts to come in, uh, poor uh, actions come in? Absolutely. I struggle. But the struggle has happened, and, and there's more love than there was last year. There's more grace than there was last year. There's more forgiveness ability within us than there was last year. There's more desire to please God than there used to be. Than there used to be. Verse 8, the second reason why Jesus came from this scripture. Verse 8. Whoever makes a practice sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He's a scoundrel, by the way. He's an absolute scoundrel. Whoever makes a practice sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
The works of the devil is works righteousness, works mentality. You're right with God through what you've accomplished. You're right with God through human achievement. That's the work of Satan. That's what he wants everybody to believe. You're not right with God through what Jesus did for you on the cross. Matter of fact, what Jesus did for you on the cross doesn't mean anything. That idea of the shed blood and the believing in that, that doesn't mean that you're counted as righteous. That's a bunch of hogwash. That's what Satan does. That's his works. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. And, and, and so Satan is always work to anything that's advancing the, the kingdom, the gospel, the good news. The Satan is working to destroy all that. And Jesus came to destroy the work of Satan. So those strongholds are broken. The idea that man can save himself in your life is broken because you realize that's not true. And so that's why Jesus came. Satan came, to he comes and he works at us to, to destroy hope, to destroy faith, to, to, to destroy experiences, to destroy opportunity, to, to come and... and, and and convince us that we're unworthy of such a wonderful salvation to be God's children. And Jesus came to destroy all that. So he came to take away our sins, and he came to destroy the work of Satan. And then we see here in verse 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. Now, think about that. God's seed. Now, that means to us that we literally get taken over by God at the point of belief. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. Okay, now, I want you to think about this. Paul talked about that he wanted to know the same power that rose Christ from the dead. I, I don't know how much power that is. I don't know how much horsepower it took to raise Jesus from the grave, y'all. You any way of figuring that out mathematically? I mean, how much energy did it take to raise Jesus from the grave? A lot. How much energy did it take to create this world? How much energy did it take to create the universe? I mean, I can't even fathom that. It has to be unbelievably power. God's power has to be great horsepower, doesn't it? I mean, there's a lot of horses pulling that train. A lot of horses pulling that wagon. When God spoke the world into existence, how about people? I mean, isn't it interesting that, that in, in our body is so many unbelievable things taking place all the time. When you sleep, you don't think, breathe. You, your body does it for you. How does the brain work? How does the hand work? I mean, the birth of a baby, how in the world did that happen, right? How did all that happen? How does... How do all the things take place? When You know, we talked about the work of the blood. When someone has a cut, the veins open up to put blood in the cut and, and, and clog up the cut. And then after the blood goes through the, the cut, then the veins restrict so there's not a buildup there. And what does it do? Then it, the body begins to send healing properties to that wound. And so it's an amazing thing that in our body that, that the, 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 the imagery of Jesus is always being experienced. I mean, the blood heals. 
Just like the blood of Jesus heals, the blood inside of our body heals. An absolute miracle has taken place. And God's seed abides in us. That power abides in us. Now, if you have a balloon and your balloon doesn't have any breaks in it, it's been healed, right, from, from a symbolic experience for us. If you blow in that balloon, it's, it, it grows, right? There's no way that you can keep that balloon the same size if you're blowing into it, if it's without a cut, without a hole in it. There is absolutely no way for a child of God to remain okay with their sin if God's seed lives in them. They are going to grow. They are going to worship Him. They are going to grow in His likeness. They are going to go from living for themselves, and then they're going to see that transition take place, and, and they're going to live for Jesus. That's what's happened. And so when you think about Christmas, you think about celebrating Christmas, you, you think about got to get everything done. You got to have the ham. You got to have the tree. You got to have the lights. You got to have all the gifts and all those things. Don't, don't lose sight that he came to take away sins. He came to destroy the works of Satan. And all those things took place because Jesus became a man and we beheld his glory and he has done his work. And, and the fact that you're no longer like you used to be is overwhelming evidence that Jesus is the Lord of all. I mean, has your environment changed? Has your education changed? Has it made the difference? Can you honestly say that, that, that experiences allowed you to live a more moral life, a, a life of, of, of less sin? None of us can say that. Only through what Jesus has done. Verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice sitting, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot... He cannot keep on sinning. The reason why you keep, can't keep on practicing sin is because Almighty God lives in us. That's the glory of Christmas, man. That's the wonderful thing about Christmas. I just can't keep on living like I used to. I want to serve Him. I want to please Him. I want to, I want to live the rest of my life honoring Him. I want to read more of His Word. I want to pray. I, I want to see more people know Him. And all those spiritual awarenesses and ideas, I crave. And the reason why I crave Him is because when I was 16 years old, I believed in Christ. And I began to experience the Lord in my life. And the purification process began. Verse 10. By this, it is evident. By this, it is evident. So all that we have read, the taking away of the sins, the practicing of sin changes to the practicing of righteousness. All these things become evidence. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. It's just clear, isn't it? And, and not only is it clear by his word, but it's clear by your experience. I know for a fact that as a child of God, you've experienced this. You know this. As I'm sharing this with you, the Holy Spirit in you is saying, he, he, he's right about that. He's right about this. This is true. This is, this is absolute, honest truth. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Evidence. Are you growing in love? Are you growing in love? Is there more love in you than you used to be? Do you have more love for the, the you know, for the those in chains than you used to have? Do you have more love for the ignorant things this world than you used to have? Do you have more love for people who are blinded in unbelief than you used to have? That's what happens. That's evidence that you are God's children. So think about this. God takes away sin. And as you believe in him, he has taken away your sin. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus did not come to bring about a military army to defeat the Romans in his day and time in Israel. That's not why he came. He did not come to, to bring a physical kingdom to the world. He is going to bring a physical kingdom to the world when he comes the next time. But his first coming was to come and bring an eternal kingdom that is of a spiritual nature. And John the Baptist knew when, Je when Jesus came out, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God cancels the debt of our sin. In Colossians 2, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together him, having forgiven us all our trespasses and canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This is set aside, nailing it to the cross. It's an accounting term. Your debt's been canceled. When Jesus came to take away our sin, he canceled the debt of our sin. And, and each one of these are equally great. Each one of these are equally important, but check this one out. When Jesus came to take away our sin, he blots out our sin. Isaiah 43 says that, that he came to completely do away with our sin. In this instance, what he does is to raise from the record every trace of the transgression and sin of his people. Not once, but continually and forever so that he cannot remember it. Now, you can get stuck on God can't remember something. How does that work? I don't have a clue. I don't know. But the first part is what we rejoice over, that he blots out our sin. And, and not just one time, but continually. So every time his children sin, he blots it out through the blood of Christ. He blots it out. And he cannot remember it. He blots it out continually and forever. So as a child of God, because Jesus came to take away our sin, we literally stand before God as if we had never sinned. That's an amazing thing. When you sing joy to the world, keep that in mind. When you sing, hark the herald angels sing, I mean to tell you, woo, let that fly. I am, I am in God's eyes just completely right with him. 
as if I've never, ever, ever been wrong with him. And I know my sin. And my sin has to be serious. It has to be a difficult thing. It's got to be, you know, that deal breaker because Jesus died on the cross for my sin and your sin. It really is a big deal being a believer. It really is a big deal being a child of God. God gave us His Son to die a horrible death so our sin could be taken away. He blots it out. He blots it out. Psalm 32, 1 and 2, I'll leave you with this. David knew about sin. (laughs) David knew what it's like to be under the consequences of sin. David knew. Man, there's no question about that. And he says that the sin is always before him. You know, you know what that's like, don't you? As a child of God, when you sin, it's always before you. The reminder is always there. You can't get away from it until you repent and you confess that sin. But David said, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the one. Happy, just like the words of Jesus, happy with no any regard to circumstances. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Glory be to the Lord. Because Jesus came, the opportunity for forgiveness is now ours. Our sin is covered. Now, he says in verse 2, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. That means sin. Counts against us no sin. Man, that ought to put a jig in your step. That ought to make you get up in the morning and go, ha, another day. Another day with my sin forgiven. Another day with my sin being covered. Another day that he no longer counts my sin against us. How's your day going today, buddy? Ah, not too good. Why? Oh, inflation, taxes, you know, troubles at work, troubles with this brokenness, you know, uncle's got an illness, all these things. But you know what you have the opportunity to say then? But uh, does God count your sin against you? No. Well, that pretty well puts the joy back into life, doesn't it? Well, of course it does. Because this impacts eternity, not temporal, not earthly. Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So the three things 1 John chapter 3 tells us that we need to be reminded of this Christmas. Jesus came to take away sin. Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. And Jesus came to give us evidence that we are God's children. I hope you have a great Christmas celebrating the fact that Jesus came And he makes all the difference. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, lead us. Help us to open up to your word. Help us to listen well. And may your spirit just work in a great way today in our hearts. And lift our spirits. Strengthen us in your words. Help us to understand. For those in here that perhaps are are struggling with assurance of salvation, I pray, Lord, that they would read this scripture and, and May your spirit speak to them and teach them. Lord, we pray that you'll comfort people who need to be comforted, that you'll strengthen those who need to be strengthened today. 
And Father, for anyone here today that is outside of belief, not yet believe in you, may your spirit work and draw them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come for our offering, please.